With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. joined today by john littering if you're out there on twitter give john a follow at j-o-n-l-i-t-t-e-r-i-n-e you can follow me at jake ski 52 today john and i are going to be making our picks for the biggest fights at ufc 231 talk a little fantasy talk a little DraftKings, break down some fights always a good time but john we're coming off a pretty awesome low-key awesome weekend for mma we had two ufc events in the ultimate fighter 28 finale and of course uh ufc adelaide we had two bellator events we had uh wilder fury it was just a wild weekend for combat sports fans got any big takeaways from the weekend well you know i think the biggest thing for me was at least if you look at it from a usc perspective was just how easy kamaru usman ran through rafael dos Anjos and um I know there's a big size difference. You know, Dos Anjos, you know, spent a good portion of his career fighting down, you know, a weight class, and Usman could probably fight up a weight class if he really wanted to. But um, it's rare you see a fighter as good as Dos Anjos, as baffled as he was on um, on Friday night. And um, Dana White said after that fight that you know he, he says a lot of stuff, obviously, but uh, that you know Usman and Woodley is the fight to make now. You know, until something better comes along, who knows? But uh, that would be a good fight, and I don't think that would be an easy fight for Woodley. Usman has shown time and time again that he not only can win, um, but he can win a variety of different ways. He has good power. He has a good chin. He's obviously a terrific wrestler. Um, 
And, you know, they're at the point where, you know, I think they should kind of be pushing him. It's not a guy who, you know, is a 22 or 23 year old kid. Um, and I think they would be smart, you know, and doesn't have to necessarily be Woodley right away. But maybe you could set up a number one contender fight with Colby Covington or, you know, something like that. I know those two yeah. have gone back and forth in the past. But well, I, think, uh, I think Woodley and Covington here are going to try to fight here in early 2019. That seems to be every indication that or Covington's still technically the interim champion and they want to unify those. So um, that's going to put Kamaru Usman in a tough spot. They can bring him on hand. They've already done this. They can bring him on hand to, you know, stay and, and, and in case somebody misses weight for that fight, in case someone drops out due to injury, then they can bring him in to fight. I don't know if he wants to do that again. He could take another fight. Of course, that'd be pretty risky, but I do agree that he most definitely deserves a title shot next. It depends how long he's willing to wait for it. Yeah, you know, that's that. He, he, and he wouldn't be, you know, totally out of line at this point for Usman to, you know, be willing to sit on the sideline for, you know, the 12 months or 11 months or, you know, whatever it would take to get that fight, assuming those two came through it healthy. But, uh, you know, that, that uh, Woodley uh, Covington fight's not even scheduled yet. So mm-hmm. if that's the route that Usman goes and uh, the UFC's okay with it, he's going to have a. Uh, a pretty lengthy time on the sideline. But um, that was the main thing for me. It's just how easily he rolled through a former champion. And I know, like I said, I know the size difference was a big thing, but um, this guy is really, really legit. And he's still fairly unknown compared to some of the other guys in the division. But uh, he is definitely, you know, over under the next 12 months, I definitely think he's going to be fighting for a title before then. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that happened. Uh, all the Australia guys got beaten. Adelaide, that was rough for them. I mean, the, the boxing match. I'm I'm not a huge boxing guy compared to MMA, but that Fury Wilder match, uh, decision controversial. But man, I can't wait to watch them run that back. That'll be fun. So it was a wild weekend for combat sports here. And we got another pretty good weekend ahead here, mostly because we got two title fights here at UFC 231. We'll jump right into it, John Max Holloway. Brian Ortega. This is a great matchup. This is a fight that's been we've tried to make it before. Uh, some things derailed derailed that a little bit, um, but it looks like this is going to happen. We got Holloway on DraftKings at eighty three hundred. He's the favorite at minus one twenty five. Ortega seventy nine hundred. Slight underdog at plus one twenty five. Odds to finish on this one. I was a little surprised to see minus 170, especially with guys as technical um, and proficient as these two. Um, but I guess that's what we're dealing with here. Uh, John, who are you picking and how do you see this five round fight going? Um, I'm picking Holloway, um, but I think it's going to be competitive. And I would probably, if I had to guess, think it would probably go the distance, which is why I was a little surprised at that number too. Um, I'm worried. I'm worried about a couple things on both ends here. As far as Holloway, um, the injuries are a concern. Um, he's been banged up of late. He hasn't fought a whole heck of a lot. Um, he was supposed to fight Herbib Nurmagomedov um, in that late notice replacement uh, fight um, after Tony Ferguson got hurt. Um, the you know uh, athletic commission in New York uh, judged that Holloway was you know too heavy, couldn't safely complete the weight cut, so so that fell apart. And he had to get to one fifty five for that one. This is one forty five. Yeah. But this is the fight. This is the weight class featherweight one forty five that he's won all these fights in a row. <laughs> 
We know it's a tough cut because of how big and long he is, but uh, you know the frame's a little bit slight, and it seems like he's been able to make it work so far. So I guess the weight cut will be worth watching a little bit uh, when we get into the Friday morning portion of things, but uh, something to watch for. Yeah, I'm not too worried about the weight cut. I mean, Holloway, one of his biggest assets is the fact that he could seemingly fight for 20 rounds at the same pace. Um, he kind of reminds me of you know earlier Frankie Edgar in that sense, where the output in the fifth round is just as substantial as it is in the first. Um, you know, Holloway has some other things going on. You know, within the last couple of days, he's you know he, there was an article on either MMA junkie or MMA fighting about um, he's been dealing with depression of late, and there you know there have been some away from the octagon things going on. Yeah, um, some concussion things. That's came up. Yeah, too. yeah. If you remember the, I don't, I guess it was must have been with uh, on the Fox, one of the UFC Tonight shows. I guess he was doing that interview when he looked. I mean, he looked drunk. Obviously, he wasn't drunk. He was dealing with health issues. Um, uh, in that clip uh, where you know he was slurring his words and he looked out of it and stuff. So uh, mm-hmm. that's what was going on there. But um, inside the cage, he's without a doubt turned into one of the best fighters in the world. Um, 12 fight winning streak hasn't lost in five and a half years. Um, Holloway is a fighter whose style of fighting is almost more geared towards five rounds than three. Like I said, his output stays steady, you know, throughout, throughout a 25, 25 minute fight. He's really good. He's has honestly developed into one of the, you know, I don't want to give you an exact number. He's within the top, you know, eight or 10 fighters, pound for pound fighters in the world, somewhere in there. He's really, really good. And um, he's going to have to be good on Saturday because his opponent, Brian Ortega, is also really good. Um, Ortega is legitimately one of the best submission artists in the whole sport, not just not just the division, the whole entire sport. Um, the two cons- main concerns I have about Ortega is the first one is he does not have much power in his hands. Um, I know he knocked out Frankie Edgar with one punch in March. Um, but that is not Brian Ortega's game. Um, anything he does on the feet is simply to try and get you to the match so he can submit you. Now, striking has definitely gotten better over the years, but no matter how you look at it, it's never going to be on par with his grappling because he's simply that good on the ground. Um, but the bigger concern for me about Ortega in this fight is Ortega has a tendency to start really slowly. Um, there was one point not all that long ago, June 2015 through July 2017, so about two years, where he had three, four straight, excuse me, four straight third-round stoppage wins. Mm-hmm. Now, that is, I want to, I don't know this for a fact, I'm pretty sure that he's the only guy in UFC history to do that. And that is not a way to build a winning streak. Because sooner or later, that those I don't want to call them miracle finishes because he worked for them. But sooner or later, those stoppages in the final round are not going to materialize. And even though this is a five-round fight, if he starts slow in this fight and he finds himself down 20 to 18 after two rounds because he doesn't have the output that he needs in the first and second round, he's going to lose. Yeah. You know, he, Max Holloway is not going to make the mistake to give him the win, you know, to give him one of these wins. Howie knows, I mean, Howie's pretty good on the ground himself, mm-hmm. but he knows full well Brian Ortega is a better mat specialist. He knows full well he does not want to get into grappling exchanges with the world-class black belt like Ortega. Um, Holloway, in 22 professional fights, he's been submitted once. So, you know, you can't say his submission de- defense, you know, is a big concern. He's good on the ground, but he's not Ortega. 
So I think the odds and the salaries in this fight are you know just about right. Maybe uh, the the salaries I think are correct. The Vegas odds. I probably would have gone a little higher, maybe like minus 140 on Holloway and like plus 125 on you know, something like nothing crazy. It's about correct. Um, I think this goes the distance. I think Holloway wins. You know, it's one of those things we talk about all the time. Would I be shocked if Ortega won? No. But, you know, after five and a half years and 12 fights, um, Holloway kind of deserves the benefit of the doubt until we see otherwise. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on Holloway, John. This was one that I struggled with at first for a little bit because I was thinking like, okay, Holloway's been off for a while. There, there were the health concerns that might be an issue. Um, but when it comes, when I try to look at this from a fantasy perspective, the numbers make it really easy that if we're doing just DraftKings, like Holloway is probably the choice here because of the striking vo- volume. I mean, six point two significant strikes per minute over his USC career, and you usually only see numbers like that when you've got like a two three fight sample size where someone gets hot and down dominates here so uh that's definitely a thing for me in a five-round fight someone with the output of holloway definitely deserves to go into DraftKings lineup for 8300 because i mean in theory let's say he gets taken down a couple times but and and loses a decision you know uh one of the the most the most likely way ortega wins i think is if he catches him in kind of a submission but let's say holloway loses a decision he's still in line for you know 60 DraftKings point points because of his output now the thing with ortega i want to say that concerns me about his output um richard mann po- pointed out he's one of our uh, one of our teammates here at rotowire mma he pointed out in an article that ortega is the only fighter in the featherweight top 15 so he's the only ranked featherweight that has a negative striking differential and that strikes landed per minute minus strikes absorbed per minute and he was he got outstruck by frankie edgar before he got knocked or before he knocked him out he lost the striking battle by 36 to Cub Swanson in the fight before that. Hinato Moicano was beaten by 44 in the striking department. Ortega was dead even with Clay Guida in the striking department. Now we're getting into these fights where, uh, where um, you know, he had all those uh, comeback finishes. He got outstruck by Diego Brandao. Um, he had two more strikes than Tiago Tavares. So um, the striking volume is not that great. Now, even the takedown average is only 0.22. So he's not going to, I just, I don't see ways where he can rack up a ton of DraftKings points unless he somehow gets that early submission. And I just don't think against Holloway that that happens. No, I I think this, I think this is one of those sites where it takes a Holloway mistake for Ortega to win. Mm -hmm. I have a really difficult time seeing Ortega out point Holloway for 25 minutes and earning a decision. Um, it's just it's it's and I, the, the thing Ortega has going for them, like we mentioned, is he has the greatest skill in this fight. His submission skills are greater and at a higher level than anything Holloway brings to the table. But Holloway has no weaknesses um, and he has the advantage of being able to fight consistently for 25 minutes. And yeah. maybe Ortega can do that. But we know Holloway can. He's gonna. He's definitely gonna stay busy for that twenty-five minutes too, like you remember, like you reminded us earlier. And you know, looking at Ortega's uh, fight history, yeah, he's got all those third-round stoppage, uh, you know, wins. But he hasn't been to championship rounds since. Uh, rfa 12 in 2014 resurrection fighting alliance so in the ufc he hasn't gone past the third round yet of course he hasn't had the opportunity yet um and he's got those wins in the third rounds but it's been a while since he's been tested in championship rounds and i'm sure he goes that long in sparring just about every single day in his camp but holloway is one of those guys that's difficult 
to mirror as far as a sparring partner goes because of how long he is and and how how unique he is with that striking and i mean holloway smoked all though two fights in a row who you know we can probably agree is considered one of the greatest of all time in the division um there's just the only way you can pick Ortega is if you're really on board with some kind of X factor, if you don't think Holloway is fully healthy or you don't think he's necessarily quite with it. So for me that it's Holloway and I think it's the same for you. I'm curious to see what happens when our staff picks come in tomorrow. That'll be a a fun one to see if anyone goes out on a limb for Ortega, but I think Holloway is the choice in this one. And at 8,300, he's very affordable uh, for lineups, but the co-main event, John got another title fight. Um, this discrepancy is much larger than the main event. We've got a uh, really a flyweight championship here between Ioanni and Jacek and Valentina Shevchenko. Shevchenko is supposed to fight for the title against the Ultimate Fighter winner Nico Montano. Montano dropped from that fight, got her belt stripped, and now here we are with the fight that everybody really wants to see. After all, so Shevchenko ninety four hundred, Jacek sixty eight hundred, which is going to be the lowest by a mile that we'll ever see in Jacek on DraftKings. Period. Uh, no matter what happens, if she goes back to strawweight, stays at flyweight, anything like that, uh, it's as cheap as she's going to get. Um, Vegas odds reflect that Shevchenko minus three forty five, and Jacek plus two eighty five. The odds to finish in this one. These are two fighters that. Um, could probably go the distance it's plus 175 if you really think Shevchenko can get a knockout then maybe you bet the other side of that um but I basically does this one to you John is it as lopsided as the odds and salary suggest and of course ultimately who are we picking no I was very 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 surprised especially the salaries uh 9400 for Shevchenko and 6800 for Joanna that's essentially you know a lot that's you know that's a lock versus roster depth you know that's so that's your ronda rousey betchko hey line from back in back in the day yeah. so um, is the second highest on the entire slate alexander rakic is number one at 9500 yeah you know the only the re, the reason and you know we don't have any inside information on this but i, I can almost guarantee the only reason that that line and those salaries are as lopsided are as they are is simply the size differential. Um, Joanna has some Muay Thai history too, though, so that might have something to do with it. There is. Um, it's just Joanna is. Um, I know she'll be fighting a flyweight here, but uh, you know, for for she's essentially a strawweight. You know, she's been a strawweight for her entire UFC career, so she's essentially um, been fighting at 115 pounds for the duration of her UFC career. Um, Shevchenko was fighting at bantamweight. Um, is now going to fight at flyweight, and I can guarantee you walks around quite a bit heavier. Um, you than mentioned that. in your preview that she could fight at, at uh, uh, featherweight if she really wanted to. Oh yeah, easily. She's so muscular; she easily could. Um, this is t- a little bit difficult because they essentially have the same style of fighting. Um, they're both Muay Thai specialists. There's a lot of combinations and there's a lot of strikes landed without a lot of finishing power um, both ways. And that's not all that much of a surprise because um, on average there are far less finishes you know, in female fights than there are in male fights um, just because you know, the power is not, you know, not there that some of the male fighters have. But um, I think Joanna is probably going to ultimately struggle with the physicality of Shevchenko. Um, and you know, one thing about Joanna is she's, 
she hasn't looked all that great lately. Um, you know, I know she rebounded from, you know, those two losses to Rose Nama Eunice and in July, you know, she took a decision from, uh, from Tisha Torres, but in, um, her second fight against Rose, which was in April, um, which I was actually at, that was the Habib, the Holloway card where he ended up fighting Ally Quinta. Joanna got beat up in that fight and she got beat up badly by Nama Junis and she got beat up on the feet. She essentially lost a 25-minute kickboxing match to Rose, which if you told me going into that fight that it was going to be a 25-minute kickboxing match, I would have bet my house that Joanna would have beat her. I mean, the and first one, Rose knocked her out in the first round. So, okay, right. you could maybe say that's a little fluky, but she got, like you said, she got beaten soundly over she five got, rounds in that one. She got obliterated on points in a 25-minute kickboxing match against a fighter in Nami Yunus who seems at least if you look at them looks like she's half the size of Shevchenko. I know she's not, but that, you know, that's what it looks like if you were to put the two side by side. So, um, you know, and Joanna looked better in the Tisha Torres fight. You know, she won a unanimous decision. There wasn't any doubt about that. She deserved to win, but it wasn't that, you know, dominant, you know, all time, great pound for pound performance that we got used to seeing for a while. So, um, you know, I, I would be a little worried about taking Shevchenko with the salary. And that's only because if you put, and we say this all the time as well. You put someone in your lineup who's 9,400, you know, God forbid something goes wrong, they get hurt, you know, a million different things could happen, and, they, you know, they don't provide points for you. You're essentially done. Um, so you always got to be careful about that. Um, you know, and this is, you know, Joanna's obviously talented, and not too many opportunities come along to get a fighter in your lineup of her caliber at $6,800. So, you know, if you make, you know, make, you know, a half dozen lineups or whatever, it might not be a bad idea to put Joanna in one or two of them only because you're just getting good value. But um, I don't think she's going to win. I think there's just a real physicality issue between the two. Um, and, and as good as Joanna is, even at her best, she was never a really physical fighter. She kind of, you know, would stand away and land combinations, and she was great at that. But um, I think Shevchenko is going to have a massive advantage in the clinch. She's just bigger and stronger. Uh, you know, that's really all there is to it. If she's able to push her up against the fence, I think Shevchenko can just obliterate Joanna from in close. Um, I would agree that this is probably another one that would probably go the distance. But there's just a size and physicality issue that I'm having a tough time overcoming here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and going back to the Muay Thai history again, of course, these two have never fought under the UFC banner, let alone MMA. Uh, but you said they both have the Muay Thai backgrounds. Uh, they fought for the first time in, all the way back in 2006. And you want to 31 right now so i mean do the math there that was ages ago and she's very very young um she got beat by uh shevchenko pretty bad in the first one and then lost two more times although it was a little bit closer so i mean i don't expect this to sudden obviously suddenly turn into uh, some sort of grappling or wrestling or any of that there'll be a lot of clinch work because that's where the background is um but you know essentially we're having another kickbox muay thai ish type of match here and because of the size advantage i'm with you um i can see that shevchenko i you know again i think the salaries are a little far apart but i definitely understand um why the betters have this the way that they do and uh, yeah it's a very interesting thing for me i i mean if you use you on it at 6800 it's essentially a punt play and it gives you a lot of um room to put a lot of favorites in your lineup however you know the more and more i look at these uh the set of salaries there aren't a ton of crazy favorites that you know I really need to be loading up on uh, to be able to need to use a punt play. So that's the thing because Shevchenko is the second biggest salaried fighter. So if you use Joanna, 
you know, you probably don't stack this fight and use Shevchenko too. So do you really, where are you going to put that extra money? Are you going to put it on Rakic who only has two fights? Are you going to put it on Claudia Gedalia? Maybe we'll talk about her later, but someone who's possibly unlikely to get the stoppage. You know, then going down the list, you got Laprise, Katona, and Tiago Santos at 8,800. And I, there are, are few names really jump out. I got to have them in my lineups uh, on, this, on, on this card. So, you know, maybe we'll get to that more as we go later on. But I don't know if there's an incentive to use someone that cheap unless really the incentive for me is if you're going to go with a contrarian strategy and are entering, you know, 100 lineups in the quarter jukebox or something along those lines at big GPP and you got to play it the opposite way. So I'm picking Shevchenko too. And I would guess that this one's unanimous when the staff picks come in. Yeah, there's just there's uh, this is an, it's just a hard path to see Joanna win this fight. You know, this it's moving up and wait. This is this is like the last matchup you would think would work well for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's a, it's still attractive because there's a belt on the line, and sure. you know she needs to get back on track in one way or another. And maybe switching the weight classes is the way to go. Um, she's never missed weight for a strawweight title fight, but she's came in looking pretty rough. So I'm definitely I'm sure she's going to be happy to have that extra ten pounds here. But that's what we've got for this fight. Let's move on to another pay per view uh, matchup here. We got Alex Oliveira, or yeah. Charles Oliveira, sorry I mix him up, um, going up against Gunnar Nelson in a uh, welterweight battle. Um, so, yeah, Cowboy Oliveira. And uh, Nelson's the favorite, minus 130, Oliveira plus 110. Uh, Nelson's 8,400, Oliveira's 7,800. Um, i got to get these guys straight in my head, but how do you see this one going down, John? This is a good fight, and uh, this is actually a pretty underrated fight. Um, I took... Uh Oliveira in the upset, and the main reason was simply because there there are not a ton of underdogs I like on this card. Um, so I thought Oliveira represented pretty decent value at seventy eight hundred. This is your classic grappling versus striking matchup. Um, Gunnar Nelson, I know we just said this about Brian Ortega. Gunnar Nelson is another one who is amongst the legitimate best ground fighters in the company. Um, can do anything in the world on the ground. Terrific submission specialist. But, um, you know, Nelson has had some issues. Um, first of all, he's going to be looking at uh, 17 months on the sidelines by the time this thing takes place, give or take. Um, it's been July 2016 when he f- was uh, obliterated by Santiago, Santiago Ponzinibbio in just over a minute um, in a main event spot. Now, that's not as, you know, that's not as crushing today as it uh today as it was back then given what we've seen from Ponzinibbio lately who's a legitimate contender um but Gunnar Nelson has a little of the Brian Ortega thing going and by that I mean he starts really really slowly um and he's in even more trouble than Ortega if that's the case because he's in a three-round fight and at least Ortega has five rounds um Nelson is not a great striker um he looks really awkward when he strikes. Um, he looks like a guy who's a world-class ground specialist and doesn't want to do anything else, mm-hmm. which is what, what he is. Um, he's good, um, and he's going to have a huge advantage on the mat, obviously. But um, Alex Oliveira keeps surprising people. Um, he's 9-3 and three in the UFC with one no contest. He's beat Will Brooks. He's beat Carlos Condit. Um, and, and to make a long story short, he beats a bunch of guys no one thought he would beat. Um Oliveira's fought in multiple weight classes. You know, he had he has real value and um he has displayed a much better gas tank at welterweight than he did at lightweight. He had problems making I'm pretty sure when he fought Will Brooks, he actually came in overweight. Um 
he's much he has a much better gas tank at light at welterweight than he does at lightweight. And um, the thing about Oliveira is he's aggressive, but not aggressive to the point that he's foolish. And I just think he has a chance that aggressiveness could play well against a fighter in Nelson who has a reputation of being hesitant early on. And if he's hesitant, you know, for the first half of the fight and all of a sudden you're down two rounds, you need a stoppage to win. So um, this is just an ed- more an educated guess than anything else. Um, it's Nelson's time on the sidelines, you know, 17 months or whatever it is. It's the fact he tends to start slow. Um, but, I, you know, looking at their backgrounds and, you know, their records and everything, I can understand why Nelson's the favorite. But um, this, for me, is one of my value plays. I just think Oliveira has a chance to pay off as an underdog. Yeah, this is this is one that I was back and forth on, John. Um, I never really thought that highly of Alex Oliveira, but then, like you said, he keeps surprising me with what he's able what he's able to do. Now, his losses are all you know they're pretty respectable uh, when it comes to it. I mean, Yancey Medeiros is no joke. He lost to Donald Cerrone a few years back, um, and and other than that, he's been kind of tearing through this. So. He's got the momentum, and I know there's there's just ring rust here, and, and you said just kind of an educated educated guess. I'm going to follow the money and go with Gunnar Nelson on this one. That's one reason. Uh, for me, the uh, line opened at about a pick and now Nelson's the favorite. He, you'll see him anywhere from minus 130 to 150, depending on the sports book you're looking at. So uh, that momentum tells me something, although it could easily just as easily swing back. And the other thing is uh, Alex Olivera has just a, uh, what's the take, 57% takedown defense. And not that Gunnar Nelson is some kind of crazy offensive wrestling wrestler, but for me, that means that if he wants to get it to the ground, he has a better shot of doing it. And that's where, you know, Alex Oliveira is no, no slouch uh, in, in terms of submission defense. He has been submitted three times. And what do we have here? 27 professional fights. So um, it's possible he can be got. And uh, if Nelson's okay, if the rust isn't too bad, I'm going to pick him. But this was so close. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if these betting odds closed as, as about to pick him. And in that case, the cheaper fighter is Oliveira at 7,800. But, you know, just if, without looking at any of the numbers or the odds, I, I would I, I wouldn't go, go Nelson because I still think he has a chance uh, to get the career back on track. I mean, he's fought some he's fought some dudes for sure. I mean, got beat by Damian Maya. Um, it was the one that stands out here. But uh, he, and, and he's only 30 years old, so plenty of time just entering that athletic process prime as well so uh, i'm gonna go the opposite way on on this one and i wouldn't be surprised if when we get staff picks in it's gonna be three to four or four to three because it's pretty close for me yeah it, it's it is close and it's it's kind of it's just i will say all biggest weakness is probably his submission defense um and that's a concern against the guy now you know all has been some uh, only has five career losses and three of the five have been via submission so you know if you like if you're on nelson as a favorite that's you know one of the things you got going for you because that's by far where his biggest advantage lies all right, one more fight I want to discuss on the pay-per-view is a light heavyweight matchup between Jimmy Manua and Thiago Santos. Santos, 8,800 on DraftKings. Manua, 7,400 on DraftKings. Also a plus 185 underdog after back-to-back losses. Santos, a minus 225 favorite, so the odds and salaries are right in line with this one. Uh, more importantly, though, we have uh, a minus 550 mark for odds to finish. So looks like somebody's going to get knocked out in this one here. And uh, I guess my question for you, John, is do you agree with that and do the odds have it right? I do agree with it. I, I think in a fight where both guys are known for their brawling, um, there's a decent chance somebody's not going to make it to the final bell. Um, Santos, I think, is the better athlete. He moves a bit better. 
while Manawa throws essentially just punches, Santos at least mixes in some kicks. Um, but I, I'm really worried about Manawa. He's 38 years old, which doesn't get talked about a whole lot because he hasn't been with the company all that long. Um, he'll be 39 in the middle of October. Uh, excuse me, in the middle of February next year. Um, he just doesn't fight all that often. At least it doesn't seem that way. Mm-hmm. Um, his, I was really concerned about what I saw from Manoa against Jan Blakovich in March. Um, Blakovich is not known to be a high-output guy, but Manoa really struggled in that fight. He dropped a clear-cut unanimous decision in a fight that you know, most everybody thought he was going to win. And I think a lot of Manoa's rise is due to the lack of depth in the heavyweight division. There's just once you get past the first half yeah. dozen names or so, it really thins out in a hurry. Yeah. You look and at I'm these a little logs and he's always he's fighting the same people basically. You know, you yeah. got knocked out Corey Anderson, knocked out Ovin St. Pru, usual suspects, then got knocked out by Ozdemir and most likely got outstruck by Jan Blankovic by a margin of sixty, which is pretty wild. Yeah, it is. And I, I'm a little worried about that price on Santos. 8800 is a lot. Mm-hmm. So if you think Manoa has a decent chance of winning a fight that should be an all-out brawl, then 7400 is a pretty good price. So you know, if you're making a bunch of lineups, it's not a bad idea to get him in there somewhere. But uh, Manoa's getting hit too much lately for my liking, and I'm not you know, totally convinced his chin can hold up. And if he doesn't lay – if he's not landing you know, that one power shot that he needs – He's not the kind of fighter who does a heck of a lot else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I don't see um, him outpointing Santos over no, three rounds. That's not going to no, happen. Someone's going to get slept either. within the first two, I would guess. Yeah, especially since Santos tends to throw more kicks. Hmm. He just has a more diverse attack. And I, I'm a little worried about Manu. You know, I never thought he was you know, a great fighter to begin with. And I think, you know, like I said, a good portion of his rise up the rankings was just due to the lack of depth in the division. But, um, you know, this is a fight where if you want to make a bunch of lineups and you're looking for a knockout in a fight where you'll probably get one, you know, there are worse ideas than putting Manuel in your lineup at 7,400 and, you know, hoping for that one punch, especially if you make multiple lineups. But yeah. if you look at the body of work lately, I, I think Santos is a pretty clear pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking at uh, some more of these props that are interesting in the fight won't start round three that's minus 277 um and then santos by tko ko is minus 140 so uh definitely some things that you want to look at you can always grab those from various sports books online but uh for for basically those reasons uh it, it's a momentum thing for me now man was not a bad pick at 7400 when i started looking at this my gut was like oh maybe manua for an upset but then i started to look closer into the names watch the last couple of fights manua has not looked good of late and of course like you said he's 38 so trending in the wrong direction Santos has won like six out of his last seven or something along those lines with the only loss being slightly f- fluky one to uh, uh, to David Branch. So Santos, younger fighter, going in the right direction. Even though Santos is moving up a weight class and Manuel's in his natural division, uh, you know, Manuel's got a slight reach advantage, but uh, Santos is 6'2 and, and Manuel's 6'1, so the two are going to stand eye to eye during stare downs. Um, this one's Santos for me and... Uh, I, I, you know, I agree with your point. Definitely worth maybe checking Manoa into, I would say, somewhere between one and three out of ten lineups. So you have a little bit of exposure because of that knockout power and maybe save some lineups and, and open up some salary. I think the goal on tonight's or on this weekend's card is balance, and uh, this is one way to get some balance in there. And there are not a ton of high-priced fighters 
uh, that I really, really like in this one because you're looking at, uh, like I said, Shevchenko's 9,400. She probably wins, but I don't know about a stoppage. Same thing with Gedalia, 9,300. And Rakic, like I mentioned earlier, is that unknown. So uh, Santos could be a guy that you might have to use just because, you know, you have, if you pick a couple upsets, you've got that salary to work with. And I think we're both in agreement that he wins. Yeah, I think he does. But, you know, there's Manoa does have legitimate power in a fight that projects to be a brawl. So, you know, there is some value in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, so as far as the rest of the pay-per-view card goes, I think we're both going to pick Duodu. We don't want to go into that one a ton. Um, Gedalia and Ansaroth, that's another one that you wrote up in your preview. Uh, we're both on Gedalia. That's a pretty big, uh, uh, you know, in a similar sense of Shevchenko. So we're going to kind of skip over those and uh, go straight to DraftKings. We're going to talk about a little bit of lineup building here. And, uh, John, I'm looking for any value plays either on the main event or, or on the pay-per-view card or the rest of the card that really stand out to you. Well, there are a couple. Um, the first one that I thought stood out uh, was Eric Anders against yes. Elias Theodoro. Yes. Anders, yeah, Anders is plus one hundred uh, in the odds. Theodoro's minus one twenty. DraftKings salaries. Anders is eight thousand. Theodoro is eighty two hundred. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, when the odds were first posted for this fight, Anders was favored not by a ton. I think it was about what it is now. The other way, mm-hmm. I think Anders was like minus one fifteen or something like that. Um, I just don't – I know Theodoro gets a lot of talk. He's serving as the ring boy now for the Invicta weigh-ins and stuff. I just don't think he's very good. Um, I know he's been um, – I know he's had some decent name opponents. Um, he's be, you know, I know he won the Ultimate Fighter in Nations for whatever that's worth these days. I know his record in the UFC is – pretty good he's like seven and two i believe but, but very decision heavy very very decision heavy like so much um, so that uh the odds to finish on this one you know we got a we got a middleweight fight but the odds to finish are plus 175 um i think that's wrong because i agree with you on anders anders is a legitimate world-class athlete um former football player at the university of alabama and he has legitimate crazy power. Now mm-hmm. he's 31 years old and he has like 13 professional fights under his belt and only five of them have been with the UFC. But one thing that is certainly in Andrew's favor is activity. Mm-hmm. This is going to be his fourth fight of 2018. Um, you really can't say that much these days in a, in a world where if a guy fights twice a year, it seems like it's a lot. Um, Anders is definitely still learning the finer points of MMA. You know, he, he's not going to he's not going to go in there, and you're not going to mistake him for Demetrius Johnson as far as technicality. But he's certainly a world class athlete, and I'm not really convinced that Theodore has the all around skills to take advantage of whatever mistakes Anders might make. I think Anders is much quicker. He's much more explosive, and I know he has more finishing ability. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little surprised with these. You know, this is another one. I would if you peg if you said make the odds for this fight, I probably would have had Anders at like minus one thirty five, minus one forty, something like that. Salary wise, maybe you have Anders at like I don't know, like eighty three hundred, and Theodore at seventy nine hundred, something like that. Yeah. I think he, I think he's like one of the clear value plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is the one that jumped out to me too. And when Anders was coming up, he was one of the highest priced guys on DraftKings as he was kind of coming up because people bought into the athleticism, they bought into the you know the power. 
And he took a little bit of a late uh, matchup here against uh, who we just talked about, Tiago Santos. Lost via third-round TKO. Also took him down six times in that fight, so that was pretty wild. Um, so there's a lot going on uh, there. Um, and the thing is, is yeah, the, 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 the odds to finish don't look great, but that's because uh, Theodoro's never been knocked out, and his last six fights, I believe, have all gone to a decision. Um, I, I'm just going to say that streak ends on Saturday night. Eric Andres is going to knock him out, um, in, and it's going to be a tremendous value play. We're talking... This will be one of the cheaper ones. I mean, Anders will get into tougher matchups, but this will be the cheapest that he's been on DraftKings outside of that Santos fight today, which I don't even know if they, I can't even remember if they offered that. But um, but yeah, I'm with the Anders and the athleticism. He is going to be able to, he might miss a couple shots and he might take some on his way in. But I think he's going to be able to just power through and knock out Theodore. And not a knock on Theodore, he's, he's got a decent skill set um you know pretty good fighter but i just i don't think very highly of his last uh couple wins he beat trevor hot sauce smith he beat uh daniel kelly who uh basically the dad bod guy if you were if you were wondering um him and who ended his career basically on a three fight losing streak so um i'm not overly impressed with the um with the theodore who wins and every time he's faced someone who's up there someone like brad Tavares, someone like tiago santos he lost decisions to those guys so maybe he can stay up a little longer than most because of the fact he's never been knocked out and he goes to these decisions but i'm pretty sure that ends here with anders we're both on the same page here did anyone else jump out to you john i had a little bit of a tough time with the rest but i think there might be some odds value gilbert burns is only plus 100 against uh, olivia olivia Aubrey mercy so that's one that uh i would think about using in cash games lineups because the math is right but did any other ones jump out at you that was the other one that was the other ah, big one for me yeah um Alba Mercier is good. He has the advantage of fighting Canada, but he's inconsistent. I was there in um, Brooklyn in April where he starched Evan Dunham in 53 seconds. I mean, he just he kicked him once. He punched him once in the stomach. And Dunham, who is one of the toughest humans on the planet um, and has since retired, was finished. And Alban Mercier you know, you know, won that fight in under a minute. And then he came back in July – and he lost a clear unanimous decision to Alexander Hernandez. Now, Hernandez is young. He's really good. And he's going to get bigger fights. But it was quite a drop-off after the Dunham performance. And Gilbert Burns is another guy who's, you know, good, underrated. Um, really good on the mat. Seven career wins via submission. Um, has a win over Alex Oliveira, who we, talk, we talked about earlier. And... Um, you know, I think if you look at the guys that Gilbert Burns has lost to, um, he was knocked out by Dan Hooker in July. Uh, a lot of people are getting knocked out by Dan Hooker. He's going to fight Edson Barboza next week. Um, so, you I'm know, there, that, there, one. that one's in Milwaukee. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, there's no shame in that. Um, he lost to uh, Michelle Prezaris, um in 2016. And Prezaris is another guy who's done really well. And then he lost to Rash- uh, Prezaris is on like an eight-fight winning streak, I believe. And then he lost to Rashid Magomedov um, back in November of 2015. And Magomedov is another guy who, you know, even though he's moved on you know, from the UFC and is now in the, you know, the PFL, uh, Magomedov is 22-1 and, and in his career. He's shown far better than that. So Gilbert Burns is really good. Um, all of a mercy is solid too, but you know, when you're at the, uh, you know, the value portion of the show, 
Um, I don't really understand why Gilbert Burns is 7,700. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let, let, let's just play around a little bit. We'll take those couple of guys and, and toss them in a lineup. If we use, let's say, Gilbert Burns, and if we use Eric and- Anders, that helps us out a little bit. All of a sudden, we're at 8,500 for fighter. So that means you could say, like, if you agree with us, you get Holloway at 8,300 in the main event. Now we're up to 8,600 per fighter, and we can really start to think about some of those favorites. Um, and that's where that's pretty much how we're going to go about building lineups for this card and it, man it's been a pleasure to go over this one with you uh th- those two guys the, the odd, i didn't see anyone else really for odds value but definitely um the things that i like to do on friday and saturday morning is you know kind of watch how the lines change check out way and see if anyone looks particularly good or bad although that strategy hasn't helped me a ton uh this week but um i think there's definitely some money to be made on DraftKings. Ooh, one last thing i wanted to get in uh quick this week uh you know we do provide the notes of four DraftKings over at Rotowire MMA. So if you see, saw them, they came from us. But uh, Diego Ferreira was on the Fight Pass prelims. Um, he is no longer fighting uh, this Jesse Ronson guy. And that has some implications because Ferreira was 9,200. Ronson was 7,000. But what's going to happen is Ronson got pulled for basically the commission didn't think he was able to make weight. So Ferreira is going to fight Kyle Nelson. I haven't seen odds anywhere for that yet. So it, this is... Not the caliber of fight, but like when Habib fought Ayakinta and he was in the DraftKings pool, they can't really change his salary here. So um, Ferreira at 9,200, if he gets someone, I, I didn't haven't had a chance to research, research Nelson yet because that just came today, but he could be one of the higher price guys if, uh, if you know, the matchup is even more um, spread apart than it is against Ronson. So just another note for uh, DraftKings for me. Uh, anything else you got to share before we, we close up, John? No, nah, this should be good. Uh, this is actually a pretty deep card. There's there are good fights on the undercard of this on uh, good fights in the under fight on the undercard here. Um, you know, next week, uh, like you said, the Milwaukee card that you're going to, and what we just mentioned. I know the the main event next week is the rematch of. Uh, Kevin Lee and Ally Quinta, but the fight I really want to see next week is the one I just mentioned earlier between Dan Hooker and Edson Barbosa, because Hooker has been killing it, mm-hmm. and I'm really, really interested to man, see. Man. I love the name. Oh, he's he's good. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't, you know, who haven't seen Dan Hooker, um, you know, he hasn't fought and actually hasn't fought in North America a ton, mm-hmm. but um, he's legitimate, and I'm really, really excited to see. How Edson Barbosa bounces back from back-to-back losses. Mm-hmm. We know what happened in his fight against Habib, which was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And then he was pretty much whipped by Kevin Lee in April. I know Lee missed weight for that fight, but he he was he was pounded in that fight. So mm-hmm. uh, you know it's been a while since Edson Barbosa has been on a two-fight losing streak. So. Uh, for never actually, yeah, never actually, back you know, because I got the odds up in front of me. Hooker's a minus one forty-five favorite for that fight, so that, that's going to make things very interesting. You you get you'll get Barbosa on DraftKings uh, next week at a cheaper price than that. Um, but hey, that's going to wrap it up. It's always a pleasure doing these with you, John, and hopefully we helped some of you guys out picking uh, DraftKings lineups. If you want to follow us anywhere on Twitter, we post a lot of MMA stuff. I probably post a lot of college basketball stuff too, so you got to get through that in a little NFL. Um, but I'm Jakeski52. You can get John at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. I'm going to be posting staff picks on the site tomorrow. The Fight IQ trio is coming Friday night for their video thing. And um, John? We'll be back prior to UFC 232 on December 29th. Uh, Drum roll here. Bones versus Gustafson. I am incredibly excited for that fight. Um, 
as one of a couple of the guys that got me into MMA in the first place, watching those guys fight. So thanks again for joining me, John, and uh, we'll catch you guys next month or towards the end of the month, I should say. Yep. Thanks a lot. All right. Cheers, guys. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.